Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Three, two, one, and we are in. Jonathan Lewis. Hello and welcome everyone to the episode number 128. Um, 128. 128. Every 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 week when we say the 120s, it's like, whoa! I can't believe it. That's gonna be 130 soon. Then 140s. I wonder how long we stay around for. How many? Do you know, do you know, two how many? Are we gonna be around for the next ten? Ten episodes or ten years? Ten years. It's a lot of episodes. You know, averaging one a week. Instead of 500, is it? Well, yeah, 520 if you literally yeah. one a week. Mm. would you do it yeah why not well let's be honest it's not like our content is particularly focused on anything so we probably don't run the risk of running out of any content in fact how much tangents and shit we babble on about we can probably find enough content to speak for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks worth of material on end well, let's be fair everything that needs to be researched in the nutrition and training world has already been done the, the stuff that comes up now is just nuanced stuff that doesn't really make a difference unless until the next 10 years when they go hard on the gut and they might find out some miracle stuff with that but anything else really it's like well whatever probably you know? yeah oh, the thing is the research that I like to come out at the minute is more the um, lifestyle slash like ab libitum stuff which you can apply like some of the more recent stuff for like ultra palatable stuff versus processed foods which Ironically, probably isn't something that we don't know, but it's quite cool to see some of the research come out around. Obviously, people eat less when they eat less hyperpalatable foods. Um, that's the type of research I think is quite cool nowadays. I guess there's, like you say, there's way more um, nuanced stuff um, you could look at in terms of like substrate intakes and um, circadian rhythms and, and kind of like chrononutrition and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be too much new. Maybe chrononutrition is probably some of the newer areas coming out that might be semi-interesting but i still don't really know how much of a big of effect it's going to have on like general well-being or, or uh, i don't know i suppose until until they get genetic i don't know mapping and testing right thing go right based on your genetics blah 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 you can do blah, 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 this is this is this but at the minute that's just been ridiculous i mean in it but i mean if they get a tech and it does that i suppose it will happen in the future i don't know how long enough I, I kind of figure if you talk about gene- genetic stuff and genetic testing, I'd imagine it's more a case of like it's going to be less someone's genetics will break like the physiological laws, so like say break energy balance and that, and more the fact that you might be able to find certain types of eating patterns or food that just make people a bit more adherent, like yeah. naturally, rather than to think. I had this. Com- Go on. I was going to say I had this conversation um, during the week on Facebook around set points and settling points and whether they exist or not. And we kind of got started talking about how like anecdotes of, of people like these naturally lean people that don't have to think about maintaining their weight. You know, they just naturally, they don't have to think about what they eat. They don't have to think about what exercise they do. They just somehow manage to naturally maintain their, like a healthy body weight or a lean physique all the time. And you get other people that if they ate to their like hunger or satiety, or they tried not to eat, from like a hedonic perspective but obviously you find it difficult they then have to work very very hard to maintain energy balance and you kind of got these two different people i said like some of that might be to do with set points and settling point theory and that you know some people have these set points or settling points um what might be a better term where they are prone or mm. yeah prone is probably the right word prone to, to obviously being at a higher body weight um 
and and obviously it doesn't mean you can't the, the conversation we had was like around well it doesn't change the fact that people can't get lean no no absolutely not i agree with that i just think that some people find it incredibly like much harder to to maintain yeah. a lean physique compared to other people and that's probably to do with something like settling points or or set point theory or if yeah. not that name uh, you know those terms something similar in in hypothesis or something similar in mechanisms i don't know when you know it's a bit of the extreme outlays we look at people like like jay cutler at the, at the high givers when he was mr olympia four times he was dieting on five thousand calories a day he was eating a riff i think i watched a video of him and he was maybe two weeks out so for most people who don't bodybuild two weeks out you were probably at your well you are at the lowest calories you can be at the lowest energy and this guy is something like three to four hundred grams of carbs in a meal obviously he's 20 stone full of gear and massive but you think those guys don't have problems dieting because they are, the carry intake is so huge and they're shredded eating 5,000 calories a day yeah. who's going to find a difficulty to get shredded on 5,000 nobody on the planet well unless maybe you're like 40 stone or something but that just shows that there's a massive difference and the thing I was going to mention earlier is was it in Lyle's group? They they they, they tested a few. I don't know how many people it was on a GI, GI index of bread and our our affected insulin. And they said in all these different people, everyone was different in how how high it went, how how long it took to get there. Some of it rose, dropped, and rose back up again. He said there's so much genetic difference in just eating one food. So what you're saying there, it makes you know it, it makes sense. This some people will find it harder than others because of their makeup, genetics, blah, blah, blah. But like you say, it doesn't change the fact you can't get lean. Just Like I've been 18 and a half stone, I've been 12, so I can get lean and I have been lean. So it's not that, just some, something was easier for me. That, that that study, I think, was was it in, 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 in the Israeli study? I think it was, wasn't it? Testing GI. I can't. I'm trying to think of the name of it, but I can't think of the top of my head what it was. But they even had. Um, I'm sure there was either some twins involved potentially as well, where they were they were feeding people the same responses. Oh, sorry, the same foods having different responses in terms of like glycemic load or glycemic index. Um, I think some people are like. In fact, if I probably Google it, I think it's something along those lines of people were were kind of saying like the GI index is now dead, really. Um, not that it was well thought of before this study, but I think people now realise like the fact that you can feed twins the same foods and some have like a massive spike in blood sugars and insulin and others not have hardly any, but you've fed them exactly the same stuff and they're twins, you know, they've got potentially the same genetics. That's quite mad. Um, just shows you how much other things affect. And obviously I guess some of the hypothesis might be, and I can't remember, that was ages ago since I looked at that study and I never really read it like in great detail at the time, but it just shows you things are like maybe like the gut microbiome has a big, big play or factor in that as well. Because I guess that might be a difference between twins. Same genetics, but they might have a massively different gut microbiome depending upon their upbringing, the foods they eat and stuff. But they, I'm sure that study, they had things where like some people would have like, I don't know, something what you consider highly intelligenic or highly um, like high GI, like, white bread like you say and then other people would have um like a cookie and they would say like the the white bread um and the cookie had completely different responses or it might be a case of like one out of banana um or i can't think what the other examples were now but there was basically some extreme examples where one you would think a food would spike it a lot and it didn't and then another food we think it would spike it not a lot and it did 
It was like, so it kind of things like, well, if that's the case, now maybe our ideas of what, you know, like the glycemic index is and the glycemic loads do to people, maybe they don't. Maybe they're so different inter-individually based on so many other factors that it just kind of means it's useless for people. Which is a bit worrying for people with uh, diabetes. Bear in mind that they're kind of using that to manage the amount of insulin potentially that they're, they're using and stuff like that. That can be quite... And I guess you get used to your own body and you're actually testing blood sugar levels um, at certain points to, to kind of impl- or administer the right amount of insulin. But if you're just going on calculations based on uh, a glycemic index, then you, you could potentially be well off the amount of insulin you're using. Oh, you'd be well off. And my sister's diabetic, type 1, and her fiancé is the same type 1. And they have to go on, I don't know what the cause is, mind, um, but they have to go on, a di- I think it's a full day, could be wrong, full day course on how how to count carbs. I can't imagine that's just, you know, I to use my fitness pal away on food. I can imagine it's a bit more in detail. So maybe there is something that they recognise actually it's not it's not foolproof enough because it's like death, potentially. So maybe they do do something as a backup, I don't know. Because obviously I see a lot of tests and this is what it is. Because yeah. they guess. They guess in like a Sunday dinner. They're asking me what do they mean carbs in? So, I don't know, just eat whatever yeah. was on the plate, chucking 120 or something. It's just, but it's a sort of guesswork, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I mean, they, they, I know this is like tangible what we're talk about today, but you can think about even the amount of carbs people are eating might not be what they're estimating because they might leave stuff on the plate they don't, they haven't thought about. Um, or, you know, they might be prepared in a, in a manner in a kitchen where they're not done it themselves. They don't know exactly what's gone into it. I mean, you might think, oh, there's X amount of carbs in this, but what if they've added sugars or they've added other stuff to foods um it's just so hard to tell it must be so difficult being a diabetic trying to to kind of administer the right correct amount of insulin i mean it almost has to be guesswork because you're never probably gonna ever get it right which i guess is why you have to be so careful in terms of one the amount you administer and two then kind of consistently monitoring and making sure that they know a good idea of what their blood sugar levels are like make sure they don't um i suppose kind of overdose insulin then go like hypo and stuff like that it's it's a minefield it's hard yeah oh yeah 100 percent um, but he makes it worse by having a horrific diet and thinking yeah. as as they all do as they all do mate it's so t- I mean like, alright it's a sweeping statement but it's so typical people with conditions like diabetes I mean, you think of like when we had Steve Kemp on talking about um, Crohn's disease obviously he said he had the terrible diet when he first started um, because he just like almost rebelled you almost think oh do you know what I'm just don't give a shit did almost everything he shouldn't be doing and I think that's so typical in people with things like Diabetes, Crohn's, other types of IBDs or, or IBS symptoms and stuff. 100%. I know loads of people have got, I say loads, a few people have got like IBS, IBD, and they ask me for advice. I'm saying, I've got the point where I've gone, I'm not fucking bothering because you don't listen. So why should I waste my breath because you don't do it? Yeah. Well, that's what I say. Caffeine, spicy food, and alcohol. I need them all. I say, if it's that, I said, what I said, Martin, I said, I said, if you can handle the symptoms, you crack on. If you can't, stop fucking whining and sort it out. If you, if don't, I don't care. If you don't whine to me, I'm not bothered. But if you whine, you have advice, you don't listen, then piss off. Yeah. It's, quite, it's actually a little bit disrespectful, potentially, to say, <laughs> to, to, to basically ask some advice, then don't do anything about it and just moan. I've got to the point now where, in real life, I don't, and this might sound harsh, I don't give out advice to people who ask. Free. You know why? Because they never, ever, ever listen. Not once, ever. So I go, 
I'm not going to bother. Get coaching, I don't bother. Because what they, and this is a bit of a tangent, what they're trying to do is trying to validate what they are doing. And if it's wrong, they don't want to know, and they're trying to do what they want anyway. So you crack on. Yeah, shall we, um, shall we crack on? Yeah, that was an absolute total tangent of, I don't know how we got there. Us a tangent? <gasps> Never. Mm. Um, very very quick update, what you've been up to there, mate. Very quick. Anything of interest? Um, I'll, 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 I'll take the finger so. in the air job as nothing. Um, probably done something, but I can't really remember, to be honest. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've read, I've read it. I've nearly finished that sleep book. Was it the Matt, Matt Walker one? Yeah, it's not very exciting for you know most people, but it was. A, we'll we'll a, do an episode on your take homes on it soon. I have to write them down because I can't. I can. It's, it's like it's made me go to bed earlier. Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> write that down as a take home. Go to bed earlier. Even like <laughs> two, even like two hours. The difference, you know, over a night. Would, like, what is it, like two or three hours? It was not much. Like five to six hours sleep a night for a week, and you're basically drunk driving. Yeah, it's like, okay. well, let's what? um, let's say save all that gold because we will do an episode on it. But yeah, make, write down all your take home points, and I'll align with some of the stuff that I remember from it and the the other couple of sleep books I've read. So, um, anything else? Oh, I've, I did actually. St- I did. A, I meditated the other day. Ooh. Mm. Something I'm very keen on. It's very very. It was di- more difficult than I thought to think of nothing. I don't think... See, the point of meditation, in my opinion, and I'm not a no-end expert, but I get the impression you're not meant to... I don't think you can let your brain go, like, dead. I don't think you can, th- like, literally think of nothing. I think you're supposed to just be at ease with the thoughts you have and just let kind yeah. of what things happen. Yeah. Well, I got a book that it actually takes you... Th- where is it? It takes you through the 10 stages of how to meditate. Would you get the book name? So it tells you the first time you do it, you're going to be thinking of all this. Just do it for like 15 minutes. And then they tell you, get to this point, then go to stage two, which is you have more focus on your breath, less thought. Then you go to stage 10, where you can just, you can just sit there forever and a day and then meditate. Oh, what's it called? That's about, that's about um, mind, the mind illuminated, it's called. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to ask. I've done some, I think i done 15 minutes the other day and it was, uh, nearly fell asleep. Life changing. Uh, well, not yet. Could be, I don't know. We'll see. Well, maybe it's another thing we can come back to at another point. Book reviews. So maybe that's the, how we keep our podcast going for another two, uh, 10 years or however long we suggested. <laughs> Just do book reviews. Um, okay. In your world, um, other than being sick and having to implement a 36-hour fast, um, forced, not by jo- choice, um, no, I've been kind of trotting along as usual. So, um, yeah, no, there's. I, I will talk about my experiment at one point. Obviously, I think I just need to get the right time to give it its kind of justice. But for people that I've mentioned on a couple of podcasts, I have done a bit of an experiment for the last, I can't even know how long now, but maybe six, seven weeks. Um, and... Interesting to see how that goes. Um, this uh, enforced fast has probably not really helped that experiment very much, but meh, can't, can't help when you've got sick children that pass on their illnesses. Um, if you don't want to get sick, don't have kids, because unfortunately I think it's inevitable that um, 
like small children surrounded by lots of other small children is a culmination of germs and disgustingness. So, um, mm. yeah. Licking on snobs. Yeah. And things, licking things, eating everything. Gross, isn't it? So, um, but it probably didn't help that I basically slept with my... Oh, that sounds terrible. I slept in the same bed as my two-year-old who was violently sick every half an hour for about mm, eight or nine hours straight or something. And um, I kind of nice. thought... Yeah, I kind of thought to myself at the time... I'm probably going to get sick now, and I, I don't think there's any... I don't think I could have more exposure other than her sicking in my mouth, probably. So, um, which is pretty nice. No, no. She did sick on me. So it's annoying. Like, So I had a sick a bucket um, in bed at some ungodly hour of the morning where she was being sick in, and she kept trying to push the bucket away. And I was like, no, sick in the bucket. And she kept trying to push it away like she just didn't want to sick in the bucket. And she pushed it to one side and turned her head and just went all down my front. Annoyingly, she was the the previous I don't know six times she'd been sick. She wasn't sick in a lot of stuff because she had nothing to sick out. But the prior time to being that sick, we'd let her drink quite a lot of fluid because. But we had to call one 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 because it got quite serious. And the doctor said, even though you might not want to, you should probably just let her drink whatever fluid she wants because at least getting some is better than none. And I knew it was a bad idea because I thought, no, what's going to happen? It's going to come straight back up and create an absolute massive mess. That's what happened. It went all down my front. All that I had to, like, obviously, my t shirt was soaked in like wet, horrible, sick. That's enjoying loving kids. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, another it's tangent. Been, but... twice. Oof, gross. She, one was she just had milk, so it was like it was coagulated, tears had like gone off milk in my mouth. This is what her yeah. sick smelt like, like the first time she was sick that evening, not not the latter times, but the first time she just had milk, and I was like, it smelt like the rancid cheese. It's horrible. Oh. <laughs> Kids, you know. Kids. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, I don't I don't think a huge... I can't really think back now what's going on, so I'll just pretend not a lot else is happening. So, um, Today's topic is another listener request. So we asked we asked uh, uh, for some, some, well, I guess some podcast topics recently. Um, we obviously did the one about nutrition for massing or bulking. We've also done a couple of others recently as well on other topics, which I can't think off the top of my head what they were. But... We got another one today to ask us about how we would set up a client program for resistance training. So today, that's what we're going to go through. Almost like brief fundamentals of, I don't know, like program design for someone that basically wants to build some muscle and get strong. Um, I guess there is some differences between the two in terms of like program design for strength and say like just hypertrophy because they're not necessarily the same thing. So in other words, you can get strong without getting big and you can get big without getting strong. But there is obviously also some interlap between the two because it's hard to get really strong without getting gaining some muscle. Um, and if you're gaining some muscle, you'll probably be getting stronger. So yeah. um, I suppose I just, I want to start and caveat the whole thing with like, there is no best exercise. There is no best program. There is no like, optimal like program design it's kind of just like a set of fundamental principles that you can apply to your training session to suit many things like your goal your individual preference um, even from down to things like ability to train your your like your whether you're a beginner whether you're advanced um the, the amount you can train there's loads loads of factors so it's kind of like don't look at training as like the one best like you know like the uber fit pro thing like buy buy my optimal training plan because that doesn't really exist um people should just be more thinking about the fundamental principles of training 
um, which hopefully we'll go over. We, well, we've kind of gone over a bit before, like myself and Ed did a couple of training ones. We've gone over some of those before, so we won't kind of go over them too much today. Go back and listen, but we'll cover probably some. They'll overlap and cover some of the stuff. But are we good to go, I'm Jonathan? Happy. Yeah, I'm happy with it. So, um, where would you start? A uh, couple of places. What have they done? But the food. What, what have they done previously? I won't go too in depth on all of them because just people you want to get to the point, do they? Yeah, you can't. What have you done previously? Like, if you've just walked in the gym, you, you, you're probably not on a program deadlifts if you're online for one because it's such a dangerous exercise that the reward to risk ratio is just not good for most people. Um, what gym do you train at? As in, what equipment have you got? Um, and how many... What's your lifestyle like? And so, what or how many days can you train? Because it's pointless going right. You do. You can do push ball legs twice, and you go actually. I'm going to train four times a week. So you look and you go right. How many times a week can I train? And then that will dictate to me, or if you said you don't train them, what method you follow. Like if you train four days a week, you're probably better off going up or lower, up or lower. If you can train six push ball legs push for legs or another variation and then <clears throat> so that's where I would go first because when you know what the experiences are you, if they've been training five years you know you can program anything and if they haven't done something before they've got I find if I've never done a movement pattern it's easy to learn compared to when someone has, who's just started so with experience if they haven't got any program basic movements even stuff with machines just to get a pattern right how many times a week can they train which then will go what method you would use and then what equipment have you got I mean because some gyms are pretty shit I mean some gyms have only got Olympic bar which is ridiculous but that's where I would start yeah. pretty much yeah I think I would just probably add in something along the lines of like like first before maybe some of that just determine what their goal is so is your goal to get strong is your goal to get big as I said at the start really I guess there was some 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 overlap but if we just assume some just want to improve their physique and maybe get a bit stronger so something kind of a little bit in the middle I think if we can just base the rest of our answers maybe on that because I think it's probably what most people listening are going to want you know they're, yeah. they're probably not going to expect like oh you know pure powerlifting type stuff or um, you know pure bodybuilding type stuff I think a lot of people probably just want to get a bit stronger and fitter and you know kind of that functional in air quotes type of stuff um while also kind of you know looking a bit better in air quotes because obviously we're not diet culture here uh, so yeah um so i think i think it's obviously just kind of like determine their goal at the start's quite important because obviously it might lead to a lot of key considerations in terms of um what you then decide to implement in terms of like you say the the type of training method or program you pick so that might be like you say your full bodies your push pull legs your upper lower upper lower um or you know you could do like a push pull legs upper lower if like i do if you're um uh no actually no i don't do i used to i should just say like i do i used to do push pull legs upper lower because i used to train five days a week um i don't actually do that anymore i now do like um a lower upper accessory day lower upper so um which yeah. i quite like because I think it's good frequency. I'm hitting muscle groups a couple of times a week, which we'll obviously get onto in a minute, probably in terms of frequency and stuff. But it also gives me one day to just throw in some volume on weak body parts for like on, on the air quotes accessory day. So 
This makes sense. Yeah. I do like that push. I have done push pull legs upper lower. I don't know the last block. Yeah. Did quite like. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff we now talk about probably is going to come into preference because, as I say, these are principles, not like optimal, not the one program you need to do. So, like the fact that they're principle based means that people should be able to pick a principle or a method that suits their preference, yeah. not necessarily. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do a push pull legs. That's the best. I've got to do a full body split. You look at the pyramid of importance. Adherence is the foundation. If you can't adhere to it, it doesn't matter how perfect it is, it ain't perfect for you because you can't stick to it, which is absolutely pointless. It's like diet, isn't it? If, if keto's your thing and you just love it, then you'll stick to it, then it's the right thing for you. For someone who loves bread, it ain't the right thing because you're never going to stick to it. It's, it's like training. It's like people, men in general, they, they're exposed to now more than ever giant bodybuilders who train one body part a week one yeah one body part per day so once a week training like but then they think right that's the way forward and not thinking actually these guys have trained 20 years the volume they can handle is astronomical they're genetic freaks so they can do what they like and then you find people get in trouble pretty rapidly trying to do like 50 sets of legs and they just crippled for like three weeks after it's just like no, what you need to do is you need to go right. <clears throat> I need to be trying the body part more than once a week. The science says twice. I don't think I think it's two to three times a week, and anything more than three, I think they've really studied or they're not so much difference it makes. So at least two. So yeah. in that you think go right. I need to train the body part twice a week, optimally. Maybe maybe three is optimal. Who knows? I think there's a data there for that. I'm not sure, but two. Yeah. So, if it's someone, because people get conf- not confused, but they get too drawn into this. Oh, how frequency should I do? What program should I follow? How many sets should I do? Blah blah. blah. It's like, would you do body part twice a week? Then you think, right? How many days can I train? You go right four times. You go right. What's the best method to hit both of those? Upper lower. Right. I'll do upper lower. So. You marry the method to your lifestyle and to optimal training frequency. Like if you go out and go six days a week, then you might do push pull legs, push pull legs. But then, when you've got that foundation of upper lower, upper lower, then you need to look at volumes. You now know you can split your volume across two sessions, or if it's push pull legs, it may be a bit more drawn out. You know what I mean? So then you can look at, I've got my method of training. I've got how many days I can train. You don't need to be looking at data really or volume, but you need to be, you do the minimal amount of volume to progress. Basically, you don't go in and go, right, I'll do 30 sets of squats. You do the fact and you're going to be overtrained. You're not going to train legs again, especially if you're if you're a newbie to training. If you batter a newbie, they won't come back. I'd say not every time, but most of the time. Just, just bear in mind these people like we're talking to ideally are creating this program themselves. But yeah, I suppose the principle is all the point you're making is if you set yourself like a ridiculously high volume for your first week, you're probably either one not going to complete it, or two if you did, probably be so sore that you're then going to think I ain't doing that again. Mm. 
mer enn Wright Ellis. Så for I'm trying to make it simple end. So you got up or lower because you train four days a week and twice a week is optimal. So now you're looking at right. You probably want to forget volume, really, to start. You just want to look at selecting exercises that are safe for you to do and that get you learning a movement pattern and that hits the body. I'm always thinking about it. male bodybuilders all the time. I can stop thinking about it. You know what I mean? On gay way. Not to be engaged in the wrong that's way. What I, that's what I was thinking. Not in a gay way, Jonathan. <laughs> but I would, because <clears throat> it's online, it's difficult, isn't it? If, if it's doing it yourself, personally at the start, I would tend to gravitate towards machines just to get a movement pattern like if you want to if you're doing legs on your lower day um, and you want to squat I would probably gravitate towards like a hack squat because the pattern's the same but it's so much safer like maybe this is kind of well, it's not. I mean, I wouldn't say hack squats is the same as a squat necessarily, is it? Because obviously, I guess the lever arms and the the, the motor no. arms are different. So obviously, there's like a hack squat would definitely be more, way more quad focused. Yeah. Than a than a squat. Um, it's a similar movement, as but, in. Yeah. yeah. I, so so exactly. I mean, I suppose is the point you're making just to understand. You're you're saying that you probably stick to more machine based stuff where possible for beginners, because Stop. obviously, it's a bit safer. They can practice some form of movement pattern. Um, without like huge amounts of technique breakdown and stuff potentially, yeah. and then you can you can you can move on to other things like you could move on to a dumbbell deadlift, which is deadlift, dumbbell squat, goblet squat, something, yeah. or goblet squat, kettlebell, whatever. That's a bit obviously safer, but a bit more a bit more technically advanced. And then when you've got that right, then you can probably start to move to barbell because. I've trained very newbies with squats because I'm there with them. And 100 times out of 100, they're terrific because they, they just, they've done it before. They just don't know. Like you can't even coup sometimes because they don't understand the coup. So you have to regress them so far to be able to bring them forward. And it's like for a newbie, I would never deadlift, ever. Conventional deadlifts, pointless for a newbie. For most people, probably, unless you want to deadlift conventionally or you're a powerlifter when you have to do it because the risk to reward is not good. So I think, obviously, a term that often gets coined or certainly you've seen in like the RP world or something like Revive Stronger is kind of pushed for quite prominently is this like fatigue to stimulus ratio, like how much stimulus for muscle growth are you getting compared to the amount of fatigue you're generating? I suppose deadlifts fall into one of those exercise selection uh conundrums where is it, it like it does create a lot of fatigue like both centrally and obviously for specific muscle groups and obviously it's like severely axle loading as well in the lower back so it can obviously cause people a lot of problems um is it worth programming those for i think most people would say relatively isn't a huge amount of stimulus for muscle growth there's certainly like a lot of other exercises that probably create a lot more stimulus I know a lot of people like. I don't know. It's a bit of a debate in the fitness world, isn't it, around whether deadlifts are good for building muscle or not. 
I I err on the side of I don't think they're particularly great, and I think most people could probably benefit from spending that time doing other stuff if just you know their their idea of muscle building is kind of you know their priority and not necessarily I want a strong deadlift like you say if they're a powerlifter they have to deadlift or if they just like deadlifting because most people's form even people who've been training years on deadlift is horrific terrible yeah most of the time there's there's some people i think i'm one of them to be honest i i have deadlifted for years and years and years and never been particularly like massively strong at it but i've also always picked up the odd injury every now and then despite me trying to improve and and be as perfectionist as i can on on form um and i got to a point where i thought that this whole discussion around fatigue to stimulus ratio i kind of thought i don't know if it's worth it this risk of me either keep picking up little niggling injuries whether I'm actually getting a huge amount of like hypertrophy out of it, I got to a point where I thought, you know, I haven't done deadlifts in ages now because I just think it's just not necessarily worth it. Because I think my my body shape, my biomechanics, and like the length of my um, my torso and my my theme stuff just doesn't lend very well to good deadlifting. Mm. So it's kind of like, is it really worth me doing? I think I've got to that point where now I'm like, now nah, I'm probably just not going to bother doing it. I don't do it. Don't eventually do it until I stopped. Yeah. I get this back injury from rugby and it always aggravates it so I don't bother I've done I incorporated Romanians because you start in from the top and I've just started doing straight legs which again really they start from the bottom don't they but you know it's obviously more leggy in it uh, but even then I'm like I won't go heavy like compared to what I used to be able to do deadlifting I'm like I'm only doing 100 for mm. legs which is light Anyway, anyway back to- we we so I think we we went off a little bit of a tangent when we were talking around um, starting with sets. So how many sets and stuff? I think right. I for, for someone who's just starting new, I would do like a squat, a squat. Well, before, before before we start getting into exercise selection, actually no, we should do exercise selection first, and then we'll do into like sets and rep range that type of stuff. Exercise selection, right? Let's go. So exercise selection on legs, I would go squat variation. To start, then I would put a hip hinge movement, which is obviously works obviously the back of the leg, hamstring. Then I put in some unilateral work, so single leg work, like a split squat, a lunge, barbell lunge, Bulgarian split squat, something like that. Um, because you will find it will expose weaknesses, and you will find which leg is the weaker of the two, and you can then it's an easy way to work and get one leg stronger than the other, do more reps, whatever. Then I would do more isolation so a leg extension or knee extension and a hamstring curl just you know you are isolating the quads and you are isolating the hamstrings you really you can go harder on them with pretty much absolute safety and you can go to failure if you wish and it's not going to have such a systemic fatigue um yeah, it's not to give you such such big fatigue and like going to failure on squats would. Yeah. So that's what I would. Yeah. Start. So so you're obviously putting in like a movement pattern rather than necessarily a specific exercise. Um, yeah. So like obviously you say that movement pattern would be a squat based pattern and that could mean many things. You know, it could be any type of squat. Obviously, there's tons and tons and tons of types of squats. Same with any like I suppose hip hinge movement. So like your RDLs as you you put or a straight leg deadlift or something obviously that is working the posterior hamstring and posterior chain and stuff um and then bilateral stuff um so obviously to, to, i guess that's that's in there to work any imbalances um you said about doing more reps 
I said something that I that I often use for any bilateral work I use, I always do like my weaker side first. So bilateral means obviously doing like an individual joint uh, or an individual limb, say. So you might do like single arm something or you might do like a single leg exercise because we're talking about lower body. So start with your weaker leg first. If you can get 10 reps on your weaker leg, then just do 10 on your right on your other leg, say, on your stronger leg. Um, even though that might not be as close to failure because obviously it's your stronger leg. So doing 10 reps should be a bit easier than on your weaker leg. Over time, that will imbalance, or that will sort out some of those imbalances, won't it? So, and then um, isolation stuff. I'm just recapping a bit here, mate. I think just to, for people that, that just so they understand how, how kind of the thought process behind it. So, um, in terms of like your, your squat, then. So, I guess that's like a squat pattern, regardless of you know what type of squat it is. It's probably considered some of your more complex or complicated like type of movement pattern compared to like an isolation stuff, like an leg extension where you know, you, you can't really go wrong. Like you said, you can hammer it and probably not risk too much of an injury. That's why we would generally put those type of exercises first, as in like, the, you know, a, a more complex squat or a compound movement at the start of an exercise where you're less tired, less prone to injury um, and can get more out of those exercises than doing them the other way around, right? Yeah. Because no, it has its place. I think, you, I think you have to be more advanced to pre-exhaust the squat. Yeah, I mean, there's some people, I, I was actually going to bring that up, so I'm glad you said it, in that there'll be some people which will, I suppose, argue the point that maybe doing like a leg press prior to a squat might be a good idea for like, um, what's the word? Um, not appropriation, is that the right word? But basically just like preparing yourself, so like more mind-muscle connection, um, pre-exhausting then might mean obviously you're then getting more in terms of like effective reps in air quotes, albeit obviously that's a very ambiguous term in the current market, but yeah, because some people might say like pre fatigue is a good idea. I don't. I personally don't think it is. Certainly not for beginners, as you say. If that you know potentially aren't even advanced enough in that type of movement pattern, let alone doing it in a state where you're already fatigued and then at a much higher risk of injury. Um, especially if you're like barbell squat, and if you've got a barbell on your back or on your front, and someone, I mean your front less so maybe because I guess failing you're just going to drop the barbell, whereas on your back you might get crushed under it. But yeah, I, I, you're probably not going to be asking a beginner to pre-exhaust on a leg press prior to then doing their squats later so for, for most people you'd probably say like something like squat pattern for the lower day is going to be at the, the front end of their program however i know people who who prefer to warm up with and do full sets of leg extension and leg will before squatting because they don't feel they warm up well enough just on squatting for if a newbie was like that i would probably say don't squat leg press instead Rather yeah, than the squat, just go with the leg press because are you probably going to get more cord activation and leg press than you are squatting? Depends on your mechanics, possibly. I, uh, I, I, in that scenario, though, I'd still be like pushing people just squat, like start low weight. Like, I mean, we're not even touched on really warm Maybe we should touch on what like a good warm up protocol looks like. But if you warm up properly, you should be able to like just warm up squatting, like work at a lower weight and work your way up to a working set. It's, it's given it's given an example of of, of, of a warm up how I do it. The weird thing with me, I can't squat the depth without a bar on my back. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite very typical, isn't it? Yeah. But obviously, you think you warmed up, you're cold, you're not doing it. So I'll I'll just do a couple of reps with body weight, and then I'll sit in deep for a couple of seconds. I don't know, I just do it. I get the bar, I'll do 10. I go quite slow, then I'll put 10s on the side. I'll do another couple of reps. I don't do 10, 10, 10, then I'll do like 6 to 8, 
then I'll put 20 on the side, do five or six, then I'll do 80, then I'll, then I'll do 100, then if I work in sets 120, then I'll start for 120, so I'll do like six warm-up sets of you no know, low reps before I get anywhere near what I'm going to be doing, and then my final warm-up set is usually close-ish to my first working set. Like uh, like extensions and quad and the the isolation exercises. If you do them last, you can just get in them. Yeah, you probably. I mean, obviously, if you've already warmed that muscle group up as well, you probably don't need to worry about it. But yeah, I'm the same with squats. Like I would very much do like some dynamic stretching and stuff beforehand. Maybe some cycling just to get some some my body temperature up a bit and get a bit of blood flow going. Usually, I try and do some cycling. I've got a spin bike in the garage, but um, and then yeah, I would just start with sitting sitting deep into flexion so sitting right deep into obviously like as you know as in your like the bottom of the squat and just stretch out like your so i guess a lot of people struggle what i find a lot of people's like issues with squatting is the like dorsiflexion in their ankles obviously don't can't get deep enough so a lot of people might benefit from having plates or olympic shoes under the heels and stuff um and i think obviously just stretching out the the calves and specifically soleus and your calves is really good and sitting deep in that squat before you even do any for like a number of seconds can also help a lot i think with just mobility um, but I think a lot of people, like you, very common, they do struggle with doing squats without any weight on the back because they almost need that enforced weight to get that m- enough mobility because otherwise they just can't do it and they just lose balance and fall over. So mm. I think that's pretty common. But maybe that does show like potential weaknesses that people could do or work on, um, i.e. or you know, like the many people like it. I think it's something that you could put work on. That being said, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think like if, if people are time-restricted, I think... You know, you are always going to be squatting weight on the on your bar, and I think as long as you can, you know, gradually as you warm up, get to a point where you are kind of working working in your in your full range of motion. You know, I emphasize the word your. I think you're right. I don't think you need to worry too much about about oh, no. oh I can't do a, you know like a full depth squat with just a bar say because I think you know, is that is that really a problem? Is that an issue? Like if you can, if you then when you start putting some weight on, then fuck it. Why does it matter? Yeah, so, I, but, I know I'm. RL. In my working sets, I'm like not. I don't yeah. care. But I, I'm I'm like you. Whereas I, I will very much like you know 40 kilos, 60 kilos, 80 kilos, or whatever, and I'll work my way up doing maybe like for the first couple of sets, maybe five reps a set. Um, as it starts to get a bit heavier and towards a working set, I'll then reduce that to two or one. Like certainly do like a couple of heavy doubles or a couple like a, a heavy single, probably either at or just before like whatever my working set is, and then I'll then just move on to working sets. So the same same principle as you really. Just what you don't want to be doing is like fatiguing yourself so much because you've done 10 sets of 10 before you've even started doing your working set because you've gone up 10 kilos, 20 kilos, 30 kilos, 40 kilos, doing 10 reps each time. Obviously, that's ridiculous. You're like, you're over warming up then and you're just fatiguing yourself too much. So, yeah. But I do think it's important to get some, you know, the whole point of a warm up is to get your core temperature up and increase blood flow and oxygen flow. So, yeah. and obviously warm up your particular joints and muscles. So, I think it's important to do maybe a little bit of cardio beforehand. Um, if your body's a bit cold or, you know, I'm not talking like anything particularly strenuous, but enough just to slightly get your body warmed up and enough to get a bit of blood flow going around. And then I don't, I think you can just warm up through the exercise specifically, which is why I said about like the point of why would people leg press when they can just warm up through their squats. But yeah, that is true. I've started doing cardio as warm now because the gym is a warehouse yeah. and it's cold. That's really so I'll, go, I'll just go in, I'll like today I did 10 minutes on a cross trainer relative i think relatively fast i just a bit of a sweat on then i start and this is, this is an upper body mm-hmm. not the legs i just yeah. did it for the boy just to get warm and get a bit sweaty yeah. Yeah. and then i've got this obviously same problem in the garage gym it's freezing now like the temperature dropped so 
makes it a a difference and it makes it a lot of a difference like if I'm cold I can't especially big axes I can't do it no. no it does make a big difference I mean there is a, there is obviously a reason why there's research showing how important it is so um, cool okay um, so exercise selection so we obviously went back on ourselves a little bit kind of talking about a warm up but exercise selection you've got, got a bit of idea for lower body so in terms of upper body let's go through you know, like you've got an upper body day. Oh, sorry, we've done a lower body day. You're now going to do an upper body day because obviously part of our four day split, upper lower, upper lower. What would you kind of look at in terms of programming for upper body? So I, I'm assuming we're going to go down the route of exercise patterns rather than specific exercises again. Mm, yeah, more than anything. Mm. So again, it would depend on their experience. Well, I think with. There's only a few exercises really like barbell row. I think you need a bit more experience. Like I would do something like um, a horizontal row of some kind and a, a vertical row. So if, if, I don't even if I was even correct saying it, but like a vertical row would be your upright, so like a lat pull down, for example, and a horizontal row would be something like a pedley row. So imagine if you, if you know barbell row, it's basically what a barbell row should be. So from the you almost bent over parallel to the floor, you stay there and you roll the bar up to you, uh, which is a barbell row, not what you see in the gym, which is like fuck knows what it is. Is you're halfway bent over, so it's a piece of piss. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not really doing much. So that that's how I'd fall for 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 back. And then, so for a chest exercise, which would also include, which people don't, don't like people forget, is it will also include triceps. Any push movement will include triceps. So again, like a, a vertical push. So that would be shoulders. So like a seated shoulder press or something along that line. And then <clears throat> a horizontal, which would be like a bench press or something similar to that, mm-hmm. similar pattern to that. Um, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do triceps directly in that session because you've just done you've just done your chest, you've done triceps, you've done shoulders, you've done your back. So really, you've even worked a bit of biceps in your back because you, you know, any pulling movement you are using your biceps, and I would probably just put in, you know, one bicep exercise, and then on the other. Day, I would start with the pushing and then the pulling second. Or what I what I do with clients now, especially I got a client called uh, Jeanette who has been training quite a long time, so she knows what she's doing. So what I will do, <clears throat> I will sometimes put two pushing exercises with three pulls, and then I'll swap around. The other week, the other day, so they'll, they'll be like three pushes and two pulls, so across because not too, because you could be careful that, but it's easy to get too much volume in a session. I think imagine you added triceps in there, you added a an isolation shoulder exercise like a side lateral raise of three sets. You're adding six sets on top of what you've already done. You could you could be in the 25, 30 sets yeah. before you know it. You've got to be especially with newbies. I would probably. I'd start with like maybe one or two sets to start. Obviously, a bit more advanced, 
when I was just talking about reps, if I'd start two reps, two reps, two sets, sorry, and then across um, a cycle, maybe move up to three, to four, to five, and then deal up for that. I think for most newbies, you don't really need to do that. Just get a pattern of movement right and just get in the gym training and learning how to do <clears throat> these things. But yeah, movement patterns rather than specific movements, then you'd give the client an option. Here's a list of whatever exercises is in. We've all got Google on our phones. They can go, right, what's this? What's that? So they can go, right, that looks all right. And they can, it's easier them to pick then what they want to do. Okay. Do you, when advanced, you can tell them, look, I want you to do a pedaling row. Yeah. I want you to do that. I want you to do this. And then when it's a new you can just go, right, here's what I think you should do, but here's a selection that if you feel more comfortable doing this, then, I mean, I mean, for women, I know it's ridiculous, but I know women who want to squat in the gym but the squat rack faces out because of they think men are going to, which in all fairness, they probably are. That's just you know, just that's just a blow for you, isn't it? That's yeah. not you know, it's not offensive. Just women just don't like that sometimes. Did, so that's that thing as well. I was just gonna say, am I right in thinking like, as much as obviously you're talking about this 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 principle of being able to kind of exercise select what they want based on the, like the prescribed movement pattern? Would you generally prescribe people stick to the same movement pattern for a reasonable amount of time, or and not going in like week in changing it? Or I try if I doing measures like, like six weeks, I will say, I want you to stick to the same movements for 12 weeks. So straight. At least, so at least two measure cycles then. Yeah. So you can, so you, I know there's obviously the boredom thing. I would look at if they get bored, are they putting the effort in as a D-runs? Is it worth changing? So if, if they're happy with it, I'll usually go, right, stick to it for 12 weeks. You can, if you're a newbie, you can learn the exercise because you will be surprised how much strength you gain because of what we're we looking for neurological development. Yeah, new yeah neurological adaptions to that exercise. You learn the pattern, so you can you can use more weight. So that takes you know that takes a while, a couple of weeks, and then you can actually build strength. Then on top of that, which is not neurological adaptions, yeah. so it takes a while. I mean, most people have not got awesome genetics for being, you know, gaining loads of muscle really fast. If they did, you probably wouldn't have to stay on exercises that long. But for most people, it's good to stay in efforts, you know, a good couple of months to learn and to progress that exercise. I tend to find, or I tend to say, if you can, go on an exercise until you've hit a wall and then we can rotate it out and put something else in and you can, and you can do that the same then Sometimes you find then they've progressed when they've gone back to that exercise. Yeah. So not people say people say to you, go in every time and confuse the muscle, they're talking bollocks. I think they are very confused, not the muscles. I mean, your muscles just they don't know you're fucking barbell pressing, they don't know what you're doing. They just realise there's a stimulus on them and they need to adapt to accommodate that stimulus. So it's a bit easier next time. So confusing the muscle, no. No, but the point you're making is like sometimes just even if a part of it's psychologically, you just you do some different, slightly different movement pattern, 
you yeah. just tend to get like a different rep range maybe and all of a sudden you just find you just kind of can overcome a plateau sometimes from doing that can't you or like there might yeah. be some some psychological um, some physiological stuff in that it is you know working the, the muscle fibers in a slight different angle or you know like a different stimulus from a just from having like changing either like a grip on something or changing the, like, the movement pattern slightly that might just make the difference of when you do come back to it later on you have developed like you say or built up a bit of extra muscle and then you can then you've got to overcome that plateau on that previous exercise so yeah 100 percent it's like you, you do your people, you know, you got a, a confusing muscle, bro. Mm, no, they think they just basically want to go in and wing it every session. Yeah. Don't know what to do when they go, oh, what should we do today? Yeah. That's Pro- not, not, not prob- optimal put it that way, yeah, exactly. And like, the problem is, you can't really, um, like relate to progression in that way because you can't really compare if you keep switching exercises every week, you can't compare exercise to exercise to see if you have actually progressed. Um, set aside or, or aside from the fact that you said. Um, around actually learning the movement patterns and getting the most of those neurological like adapts adaptations and stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. Because it does, especially a newbie, you can see like it's like especially with squat, it's like it takes them a while to get that nailed, and it's best to work on form, especially on complicated exercises like you know if you ever to program deadlifts, which I wouldn't for a newbie. Uh, squats takes a while, like does take, but when they get it. You'll find they can start putting weight on and putting weight on and putting weight on, and, and that's what breeds confidence as well. So then it's best to keep that going on an exercise. If you think, oh, they can, they're still going up, they're still going up, and then you know, rotate up to something similar when they've plateaued or whatever. But yeah, there's definitely, definitely tend to stay on an exercise for a good couple of months. Cool. So for just to recap again then, so for like the upper body, we said that you would tend to include a horizontal push, uh, sorry, yeah, horizontal pull and a vertical pull um, and a horizontal push and a vertical push. Um, and obviously you gave some examples of what those uh, things might be. Um, I guess in like, in terms of like push movements, you might also have like, obviously, so you've got like your horizontal push being any type of like bench press, say as an example, or press ups or something like that. Uh, and obviously a vertical push might be like you say any type of overhead press um i also like to include sometimes like an incline so somewhere in the middle um to kind of just attack the chest in a different way obviously potentially recruit a bit more the upper chest it was bro as that sounds but i guess there's mechan from from mechanics perspective um it makes sense um yeah so um, one thing I don't tend to ever program ever is decline chest. Even though you see many bros in the gym doing decline, um, for many reasons. One because it's awkward as fuck to set up unless you're doing it on a Smith machine. Um, which, to be honest, I'm not really a fan of benching on a Smith machine, but I know many people that are <coughs> Dan Smith. <coughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's awkward to set up. And also, like, if again mechanically you're trying to target the lower chest, I tend to find. Less people. I've never really seen anyone have too much of a problem developing their lower chest. If they, you know, if they have a problem developing chest, it's not really ever the lower chest. It's always the upper part of the chest. Obviously, you have the upper clavicle part. And it's, but. I think the other mentality is, especially when people start, or they've been listening to the wrong people, or, or you know, the gym bros, they'll just go right incline his chest for upper chest when it's no, it's not still the old chest. It's just it's a bit more focused on the upper. Yeah. Incline his chest for the bottom of the chest and a decline. It's like no. It's not. It's still a press, and it's using all the chest. It's just a different angle, which you know recruits more fibers in the upper chest. It's yeah. not chest for upper. In in the same in the same way, like a vertical push, still will have some chest involvement. You know, yes, there's a lot of anterior medial delt, but still has some. You know, 
push obviously that whole like your bo- your body doesn't work in a way that it's single like most movements don't just singly have one muscle like even true isolation moves probably aren't really true isolation moves like you can take like the a bicep curl right it's very rare that you can even do a bicep curl and still only use your bicep like you're still going to have some like anterior delt involved in it because anterior delt works at the shoulder joint and obviously when you're lifting a barbell up it's very rare can you kind of not still use part of your um your shoulder joint in fact the anterior delt helps contract the bicep so in reality like i like a lot of people to actually have a bit of movement where they maybe pull the bar towards their their you know the forehead maybe so they do get a bit of shoulder movement in there so the, the shoulder or elbows come up as they lift so i think it does help with some people get a full range of motion on the bicep so kind of like that idea of like isolation only being one muscle group compared to like a compound that has multiple yes in theory there's some relevance to it but i think it's, it's a bit more nuanced than that than than it is like you know strictly one muscle or a number of muscles i think it just never there isn't really any true isolation work in that respect um just to prove your point around like the bench press and yeah. what muscles you use and stuff so yeah right um okay okay right. okay so We've, I think we've kind of gone through a lot and I think I don't know if people will be able to take home enough from this in terms of oh god I'm going to use the build my own plan but hopefully you've kind of got a bit of an idea in terms of like you know pick a frequency there's, there's a few more things to go over now but I just want to do a recap before we go on just so people can kind of get an idea where we're at because obviously we've we've talked and rambled a lot so obviously in terms of like um, your frequency pick your frequency uh, and then that might determine whether you're doing like a full body, an upper lower, upper lower, push ball legs or whatever. Once you've, you've kind of decided that, you can then start to like slot in your exercise selection based on that frequency. So as our example, if you're doing a four day split and you can then think, okay, I can do four days or upper lower, upper lower sounds good. You can then start throwing in exercise selection based on upper lower, upper lower, which obviously we've said we like to have um, your heavier compound stuff first, moving on to like to isolation accessory stuff later on. And we've kind of gone through the type of exercise movement pants i'm not going to fall again that you'd have for like an, an upper day and a lower day say as an example so basically to include all muscle groups so quads hamstrings and um like a, a hip hinge movement um somewhere as well and then for your upper days again like a horizontal and a vertical push and pull so and then i guess you can probably throw in some excess like you said about your triceps that you don't you don't like to do your triceps on a push day because obviously they're already getting quite a lot of work from the pushing movements which they are although i still quite like to do them at the end because i feel like it just kind of fatigues them maybe a bit more at the end and maybe just creates a bit more stimulus um although i do kind of see the argument if you did them on another day when they're a bit fresher you might get more out of it don't know but you said well on a push day but i don't always program it for clients on a push day yeah okay that's hard because they don't need it because at this when they just train in versions like well you don't need to no, I, no I, I suppose yeah i guess like i probably do it for myself and maybe for some of the people that i've worked with because they've specifically said i want big arms so i guess yeah. well that's what like that's something we haven't said around like some of this exercise selection and types of moves you might do you might start to allocate volume to specific muscle groups based on someone's preference or wants because someone might not want to have an all-rounded in air quotes physique they might just be i just want big arms so you'd probably if that's the case probably just allocate a fair amount of volume to arms and forget about like legs if they're not interested in building their legs you might not agree that's the the right look but they might just want big arms so sometimes you have to go over client and based on what what they want that is true that is true and i think everyone who trains wants a specific body part at least improved calves mine is calves well i had a comment on my calves the other day 
Well, your calf's looking bigger. Oh, yeah. lovely. Yeah. I wish I ever that. That's never happened to me. They're not big, mind doing that. I think they're like, it's not really big, like. No, mine's not big at all. That's what my wife says. Hey. Okay, right. So I think I've concluded or recapped that bit. Okay. Um, and so let's just move on to some of the more the, the details of those exercises then. So let's start with sets and rep range. You kind of said mentioned sets a little bit. Um, I'll just kind of give my opinion quickly recap because I guess this podcast could be quite long. Um, but usually around, I don't know, 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week and I guess like the reason I was a bit hesitant to say muscle group because of the things we just said around what counts for chest what counts for back it is quite difficult to decide because obviously there are like primary movers and potentially secondary movers the prime example we've given already is like your chest would be a primary move for a bench press but there are secondary um, movers like a tricep or potentially anterior delt and that type of stuff and I think you can kind of get really deep into the detail now and say well okay well you count a primary mover has one set and you count half the sets for your secondary movers say as in terms of the volume on that muscle group i don't worry too i i, I kind of tend to ignore the secondary moves a little bit for the most part unless i feel like there's a reason to not ignore them i.e people are fatiguing in those areas or that might be a limiting factor potentially as to why people aren't progressing um so i think for the most part you kind of have to just think well let's just get too complicated for a lot of people just count bench press as a chest and just count a row as back and just i think certainly if you're kind of like beginner to intermediate i don't think you need to start worrying about much more than that i think just just do it that way and if you're hitting like 10 to 20 sets which is kind of like what most of the research kind of shows is optimal there's there's obviously the stuff that came out from brad and stuff recently around fucking ridiculous amount of sets and high volume work can can lead to even more i think for most part 10 to 20 is probably a good range for people to fit um in terms of like the amount of work they should be doing so i think people in general think they need to do more than they actually need to do to progress i mean if you look at that example 10 to 20 sets per muscle per week it's not really that much is it especially 10 no 10 is not and i think i should probably caveat that in like 10 might be somewhere you start with like you said in terms of finding out like what's the minimum amount of work you need to do to progress and obviously it might start at 10 and over a mesocycle it might work up to 20 um or just over your training lifespan it might just start to work up it might not be even just over one mesocycle it might be over a few but you'll start to work out what like your the maximum amount you can do really before this becomes too much you can't recover or you're not really progressing that type of thing so i think for the most part if you like 10 to 20 i mean you put it into context like say 15 sets that's only like that could be like four exercises on chest over a week. So two chest exercises, two days for like three, four sets a, a, a session, which is probably about right for most people. Yeah. And, you know, if Think you do... Chest days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started, I do like six exercises with chest, like four sets each. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mad, isn't it? But I, I th- this, this is the area where it can get complicated. And I think, even though I'm thinking about MEVs, I don't think it's worth really talking about it. In this podcast, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things we can talk about now. Yeah, I, I don't think it's worth going into things like MR, MRV and MEV. And... It's like you can look at, like you've gone with set, you can also go right to between 60 and 240 reps per muscle group per week, depending on how you want to do it. You can go, like, do that. But most people who are just training, they're not going to think, they ain't thinking about that, not thinking about that at all. I think if you're someone who's more advanced, and this is from our perspective, you're looking at someone 
and then you know, I know what volume they're doing, I know what reps are doing, I know what sets they're doing. They don't, especially a newbie, you're not going to go, oh, I'm doing 240 reps, which is what this data says, blah, blah, blah. So it's like for a newbie, you might even go, right, it's your first session on squats, just do one set or whatever. Just do, here's a couple of warm sets, here's a couple of patterns, here's a couple of like, um, so for a newbie, you'd look at, just teaching the exercise. So you might do three sets, but just don't 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 put any weight on. Just use the bar and just just teach the movement. And then you might go right. For, do one set of everything of ten reps to start, because you know when someone first trains, they're gonna be packed the next day mm. because their body just has never done it before. They're gonna be aching like hell. So you gotta look at if you want them to come back and realize they've worked, but they don't feel. Like they can't lift their arms up or they can't function, which think, oh, I can't do that. So there's that thing to think about with volume in terms of people who never trained. And obviously, like you say, people who've trained, you go right, data says 10 to 20 sets per muscle per week, 60 to 140 reps, whichever. But again, just guidelines. Obviously, as, as the training age goes up, 240, 240 reps across a muscle per week might not be enough. But then you go look at, there's also something to think about in terms of, if you're, this is this doesn't apply to newbie trainers, I don't think. Like someone who's more advanced, like if you're doing sets to failure, then you are not going to need as many sets as someone who's not taking sets to failure. If you're, if you're say five reps away from failure, then you're going to probably need more sets to get more effective reps. Someone who's going to failure is going to need less reps. That is also a consideration for choosing the volume you want. If you're the person who goes balls to the wall every session, who just likes to go to failure, your volume has to come down for you to recover. I know this is fairly advanced, but if you don't tend to train like that, and you train whatever, three, four, five, reps some failure, then you can get away with more volume and still recover. So that's something else to think about. So like like you said, 10, 20 sets per week, start at 10, build up uh, to like, I don't know, 14, 15 sets, deload, start on 11, go to 16, deload, go from there and build volume over time. I think it's quite a can be quite a complicated subject because there's a lot of factors that affect why you do certain volume and what volume you do, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. if we just say between 10 and 20 sets of body part a week, you're golden. Yeah, I, it is is generic, but I think it's about as accurate as all individuals you can be across, like, you know, trying to cater for everyone. I think it's kind of just has to be quite a very general thing. But um, I think, so in terms of, like, reps you started talking about kind of like some of the data and the rep ranges that might be kind of optimal or like preferred for people. Um, I, so maybe, maybe it's the time where we kind of talk about the, the rep ranges people can use in terms of, you know, like per exercise, what, what kind of rep ranges I tend to worry less around like specific rep ranges Cause what we do know is that like many, many rep ranges will produce hypertrophy um in terms of like you know the the, the so-called strength ranges even like you know one to five sets uh sorry reps might even still provide you know a reasonable amount of 
hypertrophy as long as it's going close enough to failure in the same way as like a 30 rep set can still generate as much hypertrophy as a heavier set. Because obviously people used to think you've got to go heavy to build muscle, which kind of like plenty of studies nowadays now show you that's not necessarily true. As long as you're kind of like matched for um, like close enough to failure, like taking a, a weight close enough to failure, then you're probably going to get similar outcomes in terms of muscle growth. So I think that kind of shows that you don't need to worry about picking a specific rep range as such. You should be more worrying about like making sure you're working at a high enough um, relative intensity, i.e. like how much to failure you're going. So as long as you're hitting five reps to failure or less, like true failure, we've talked about this on the podcast before, like actually true failure, not like, oh, it's getting hard, so I'm going to stop now, because that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually close enough to failure. Because, you know, you could still be a fucking way number of reps off. We we know that unless people are forced, a lot of people stop way short of failure without, think, without knowing really how many more they could have done. I mean, there were people, I think, I can't remember what study it was now, but there was one study where they, they were like asked to do, quote their 10 rep max, say. And then they were they then got kind of taken into uh, a, a basically a research center and, and had to perform it. And they got like another seven. They got like, say they did like 10, 10 reps for their 10 rep max. Tim Max makes sense. They actually did like 17. It's like, fucking hell, you got that bit wrong, didn't you? Because people just don't realise how much more they can actually do when they, they need to. So I guess the, my, my overarching point as I'm you know rambling about it a bit, but is to don't worry too much about like specific rep ranges. There isn't really like a, a hypertrophy rep range as such, like a lot of people think. It's more a case of like you can take any weight within a certain realm. I think like as long as you're... 30% of the research is done above your like one RM. So if your max reps on a squat is say like 100 kilos, if you're doing a 30 kilo squat, you can get as much hypertrophy from doing that as long as you take it relatively to the same failure as you did with a higher weight, you're right. The only thing I would say is that some muscle groups tend to just be a bit better built for lower rep and higher rep, like take your compound movements or take a squat again. You probably we probably program most people with a slightly lower range of reps on a squat because one, they can lift more weight and it's heavier, so therefore it's more fatiguing. So you're probably not going to be doing 15, 20 rep squats. You might be on the lower end of anywhere from, I don't know, whatever, anywhere up to five to eight or three to five or whatever, somewhere around that range, maybe even like five to 10, I don't know, whatever rep range you want, but on the lower end. Whereas when you start getting into isolation stuff, like single, more single muscle stuff, um, and your accessory work, they're, they're, because of the, the less risk of injury um, and obviously less overall fatigue it's going to generate, you're probably going to be okay with taking those to a lot higher rep ranges if you want to. doesn't mean you have to. You can still do it quite low, but I would tend to find that most of my programs, I would be heavier compound, lower rep range, and then I'd work up to a higher rep range at um, like accessory stuff for various reasons. One, to create, like say, more stimulus and create, just to basically generate more volume with less fatigue. I do challenge people to do 20 rep squats, so it's good fun. It's good fun for your cardiovascular system. Yeah. Because if you can fun. do that, you, you've got a good cardio system. But then, are they widow makers? So you do it, what you can do for 10 reps for 20, as in like do Just 10 see reps. Yeah, yeah. yeah, with the bar on your back still, then go again, another 10. I do challenge you to do that. Whoever it is listening, do it. Yeah, that's the type of thing. Just do, just do, just do every now and then for fun. Don't do it as part of an optimal program because it's not. No, because you be fudged. Just do that one. Do that one thing. And you're done. That's it. If you and we are talking about, if you're going to go to true failure, make sure you're in a power rack. Make sure you've got bars. Suppose if you do dump the weight, it's nice and safe. 
because if you want a power rack, you can dump the weight in, it's fine. But, you know, do 10 reps to failure, and then go on for another 10 with a couple of seconds rest in between. See how you feel after. You feel like when you get to like 18, 17, 18, 19, you will feel where the squats are supposed to hit. Because <laughs> you'll feel your ass. Or you might feel it everywhere else because you're so dead that your form's so appalling. You just feel your back crumbling. And... <laughs> yeah. Very difficult exercise. Yeah. Like going back to like the strength. Unless you're a powerlifter, you never need to do one rep max. Because all it is is dick swinging. I can bench whatever for one rep max. Who cares? It's totally irrelevant because you just had so high risk of injury compared to like doing eight, nine, ten reps or whatever. That is like, what's the point? Because you, if you, you can get strong in any rep range, I mean, if if you said to someone I can bench 160 kilos for ten, you are strong. You are strong if you can bench 160 kilos for one. But regardless, straight, you know, you can be strong in any rep range. Well, yeah, I do. Strong, I, I do. Strong. Yeah, you, you can get you can get strong and in, in many rep ranges. You certainly build muscle in many rep ranges. I guess yeah. there is a slight bias towards doing heavier work promotes more strength gains. So, whereas like the heavyweight low rep versus low weight high rep stuff, similar outcomes when they're both brought to the same kind of like failure rates, as in terms of failure rates. Sorry, it's not the right term. Similar like rate to failure. Um, I think the heavier work did tend to show better strength gains, even though similar actual hypertrophy. Um, but that being said, I think I agree with you that a, a true test of strength is like if you're getting heavy. If sorry, I've the speak right now. Sorry, if you're getting stronger, Jesus Christ! If you're getting stronger through the higher rep ranges, you're definitely building muscle, um, which is basically like fundamental is in what we're trying to do in terms of improving physique or, or whatever. Just as a take or the general best rep range is generally between 8 and 12 because it's heavy enough and it's not too many reps that is too fatiguing. Yeah. Either it's not too heavy and it's not too many reps. So you have to go so far to failure, it's too time consuming and too taxing on your, your total, you know, your nervous system. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I want to say that. I was going to say, like, as much as we're saying, like, low rep work and high rep work both works for muscle growth. What I am saying is that there is probably an optimal in terms of all the facts you have to consider, like time, like fatigue and stuff, where it probably is in that middle range, somewhere between 10 and 20, or 8 to 12, or somewhere around that type of range. Yeah. Things change quite a lot, I think, if you were a millionaire, you you didn't need to work with loads of money, and you loved bodybuilding, then you can do what you like. You can butcher yourself into the ground every session if you really wanted to because generally you're probably less stress which will impact recovery everything you do is geared towards your body so things change a bit but when you when you live your life you've got a job you've got kids you've got outside stressors then these things need to be looked at to make sure you recover enough to make progress so if you, if you listen to this you don't have a job and you're very very rich then you need some cautious from us first. Secondly, you can do what you, well, you do what you like, but you can bat yourself all day. Not all day, but you, know, you can bat yourself every session, and then you can your, your life is set up to be able to recover when most people's isn't. Just something that's I just thought about. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to just 
um, hammer off the last couple of things, I think. And if you disagree with me, just in essence of time, um, I chip in what you, you agree or disagree with. But rest times. So I tend to just say people to take a moderate rest time of what whenever they feel ready, in air quotes, to go again. And that might be a minute, two minutes, might be three minutes. But basically, however long, there is no kind of optimal rest times. Um, there are some studies around kind of shorter rest times limits the performance. So if like the, the shorter you rest, the less reps you or you know, less workload basically you can do because you're basically not recovering enough between sessions. There was some idea that you get better improved work capacity, which might be true in that you can obviously, you know, kind of build up that like work capacity almost. Mm. But I think for most people, like it shouldn't be kind of limiting their rest periods to 60 seconds. And if they're not ready to go, go anyway, because I think you're just going to end up detrimenting your total level of performance. That being said, unless you're a powerlifter with all the time in the world, um, you probably want to be, you know, kind of keeping it to a couple of minutes or so between sets rather than taking five, 10 minutes because there is an element of, you know, you might want to get in and out of the gym one day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I never give any recommendations for long day rest. No, I think just, I think most people know when the heart rate's slightly, you know, lowered again, getting back down to baseline, and they feel like the, you know, the, the um, like waste products, lactic acid and stuff building up between sets starting to go away a little bit. I think most people know when they can, they can kind of go and I think you you learn that over time anyway so which usually does end up around a couple of minute mark Um, and in terms of tempo same really I don't give anyone any real so a lot of people really prescribe reset tempos in terms of like one second eccentric you know whatever you know like rest like two second pause and then think concentric I don't know whatever you fucking want to prescribe I don't tend to prescribe any type of tempos I just tend to people like um just, just control the eccentric and probably be more explosive on the concentric. So as it like a bench press, control the lowering portion and then maybe explode like, so it's all controlled and it controlled explosion upwards. And that's generally probably what you need to do. You don't need to worry too much around having like X amount of seconds or really slowing down parts of the movements. I think if you do want to do some tempo work at some point, it might come useful if you're kind of more advanced. So it might be like some tempo work coming in might be useful to be something a bit different to overcome plateaus maybe at some point or to have a bit of a different exercise selection in terms of changing, you know, like a bench press, you might have a pause on the chest. It might be useful if you're a powerlifter and you need to learn how to pause on the chest because if you've got all cute commands, that type of thing. But I think for most people, again, don't be silly with your, your tempos. Don't like slow down parts of the movements, really slow thinking you're going to get more time under tension because all you end up doing is having to reduce the weight or do a lot less reps because you're fucking yourself up by, by being so slow. Agreed. Cool. That's it. It's like oh. this is like an hour and a quarter long podcast. An hour and twenty nearly. Lot, to be fair, I think we always thought it was going to be a long one because there's so much to go through. And even now, I think there's so much more we could have talked about. We could have talked about reps and reserve or RPE or you know like to failure that type of stuff. We haven't really talked. Yeah, we haven't talked about like progressive overload or or anything like that, other than mentioning a little bit around in, increasing volume over time. Um, we didn't even said like how you calculate volume whether you do tonnage or whether you do hard sets or whatever so so much more we could talk about but I think we're going to have to cap it there mate it's a, a long one we don't before we wanted to that's besides a bit like your, what your missus says it's a long one isn't it Way, Johnny boy <laughs> no 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 Brett it's not what they say <laughs> right anything else you want to add quickly or are we done 
So I don't want to cut you off unless there's something else you think that is important. But I think that's. I don't think there's anything really. There's other things that are important, but don't really need to know when to start the routine. You know what I mean? Right. If um, I suppose if anyone's listening and that was and they thought this was useful, but they've got some extra questions that we didn't cover, let us know, please, because we would love to be able to answer them. Um, but if you haven't, I think at least what you should hopefully take home, like like there is no perfect exercise plan, there is no perfect program. I think just adhere to some of the principles in terms of the, the stuff we've talked about and I suppose one thing we didn't really mention but it's worth just quickly highlighting is just think about how some of your exercise selections and your type of program affects other things like we, we did kind of mention around like doing heavy squats first because it might affect some of the stuff down down your program because obviously if you're doing heavy squats first it's going to fuck you up potentially in terms of from fatigue management for a lot of the other stuff so just think around that type of stuff as well um, but yeah other than that I think we're, we're good yeah I think it's also worth noting that now and again, just go in there and try something different. Like those widowmaker squats, just because you know it's really hard. Yeah. You know it's going to mess you up. I think sometimes between mesocycles, that just doing something different can just refresh you a little bit psychologically, if anything. Just to yeah. be like, because I know you get deload, you're like, you know, we haven't even talked about it, but deloads and that type of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I guess sometimes that can just be a little bit of a psychological break doing something a bit different. And not not even necessarily tracking your workouts because obviously we would recommend everyone tracks their workouts and be able to kind of work out this progressive overload. But sometimes it's nice to just go in and have a bit of fun, not even have to think about that type of stuff. I I, I do. Sometimes I like going and just just burying myself into the ground just to see what happens, just to see how I feel. Yeah. And having a bit of fun with it, doing a bit more arms, a bit more chest or whatever. Exactly. It? And I think if someone's if someone's low on time for one day because they gotta get somewhere. They still want to do. They still want to do their exact routine. Then you're going to incorporate something called a cluster set. So like four sets all at once, basically ten to twelve reps to failure, ten seconds rest while you're still holding the weight. Another eight, tip again, six, four, done. Yeah, because we haven't talked about supersets, cluster sets, giant sets, Maya reps, or fucking you know all manner of names for stuff. So all stuff you can you can kind of then start to play around with like metabolite blocks, strength blocks, you know, loads of stuff you can do which we haven't talked about. But we haven't got another four hours to talk about it, so we'll have them anyway. So, no, um, neither. Right. On that note, mate, to Lou. To to Pep. It's been a good one. I I liked it. I enjoyed. Good. Right. Bye. Been awesome. Bye. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week. <laughs>